What an absolutely gorgeous song that was. Uh, can we pray that? We just sang that in beautiful prayer. Can we, can we pray that together now? Father, wherever our souls are asleep, wherever we are slumbering and unaware of your presence, would you wake those deep places, awaken those deep places of our soul so that we might know you and be known by you. Amen. Amen. Invitations. Invitations. Would you think with me for a moment about invitations? We, we get invitations all the time, right? To uh, a party, a dinner party, to play cards, to, to do all different things. Would you think with me about the big invitations that you have received in life? I was thinking about a few of the big invitations a number of years ago had a... Uh, had a pastor who was involved with Alpha invite me to this conference in London. That was a pretty big invitation. Uh, still, that was a, a great moment. They provided some scholarships for pastors who were involved in that. Still, many of the things, there was actually two prophetic words I still remember today, was so thankful that I said yes to that big invitation. Um, Another invitation is that I haven't said yes to, but I really want to say yes, is Pastor Gabi. In Lebanon, he's invited me to come and support him. I'm really hoping to say yes uh, to that invitation in uh, October. How about invitations that you have extended to people? Would you think about that for a moment? Some of the bigger invitations that you've extended um, we just extended an invitation to our new children's director, which we're very excited about. We'll announce this individual next week, all right? Um, another really significant invitation was when I invited Kendra, my wife, uh, this was over six years ago, invited her to the now out-of-business Sunbird restaurant, and we were supposed to meet the Langfords, but conveniently something happened. They couldn't make it. And, uh, and it just was Kendra and I. And then um, we ordered, and then we went out. I don't know if you've ever been to the Sunbird, that area out front that overlooks the city. The, the one problem was it was so bitter cold that night. It was super cold, and they had these bonfires going. And so I said, hey, even though it's super cold, do you want to go out there? And she, yes, we went out there. And then I got on one knee and invited her to bury me. And she hesitated for it. No, she didn't hesitate. She cried. It was a beautiful moment. And then we went back into the uh, restaurant and someone anonymously paid for our meal. Isn't that awesome? I just saw that as the, the blessing and favor of God on that relationship. So next week, I pretended to invite her again to see if that would happen. <laughs> just kidding. Invitations. One more question to think about. Just think about, have you ever received an invitation from the Lord, from God? 
I would imagine that as some of us process that, some of us would say, yes, yes, I have. Some of us would say, no, I I don't think so. I've never received anything in the mail from him. Others might say, maybe many of us, I'm not really sure. I've not thought about that. Is, Is God in the business of doing some of those, like extending invitations to us? I would like to suggest this morning that God is a God of invitation. That he extends invitation, whether we realize it or not, whether we hear it and recognize it or not, God is extending invitations to us. And in fact, I would argue that he has a a really big invitation. I would call it his sacred invitation that he extends to each and every one of us. And he invites us to not only say yes, but he invites us then to live that yes, to walk out that yes to the sacred invitation. And how we handle that sacred invitation, how how we respond to God's initiative and inviting of us is actually life and death. We are going to look at a parable this morning that is going to look at this sacred invitation from the Father, from God, and see how different people respond in different ways, with different answers. Yes, no, maybe, and then how they live in the difference. Would you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22? There are Bibles located in the seats in front of you, some of the seats in front of you. And this is the the final week of the series that's been kind of, we wrapped our Easter around. We looked at, have been looking at some of the words, some of the stories, some of the events in Jesus' life and the stories that he shares the final week of his life before the cross and resurrection and ascension. And we've asked this question, why in the Holy Week, why in these crucial moments that he knew he only had a limited amount of time to teach and preach to his disciples and to you and I, why did he choose these stories? Why did he choose the story of the sheep and the goats? Why did scripture include uh, Mary, who, who uh, Mary of Magdalene, who was, I'm sorry, Mary of Bethany, who uh, washed his feet with, with the perfume. Why these stories? And this parable this morning is really interesting because I think that Jesus not only has a message for the people of his time in this parable, but especially he has a message for all the people who would read and reflect on this parable generations to come, like you and I, like we're about to do this very morning. So we're in Matthew chapter 22. It's the parable of the wedding banquet. Remember, this is right in the midst of Holy Week, and this is before Jesus will have the Passover, the the crucifixion and resurrection. 
Jesus spoke to them again in a parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now, Jesus could have ended the parable right there. Aren't you glad he didn't end the parable right there? He decides to go on. There's more to the story. Verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Seems like Jesus could have ended the parable there. He decides to go on. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up and foot and throw, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited, but few are chosen. So this is a sacred invitation that God is extending. And one of the best ways to understand a parable is to understand the role players. Who is involved? Who do we think that Jesus is representing the different players of the parable? Let's start with an easy one. Who do we think um, the, uh, the king is? God, yes, no cup of coffee for that one. That one's way too easy. Because he has a son, right? Who's, who's the son? Jesus, yes, all right. Now, um, who are the servants that are invited to go and tr- uh, tell the message and ultimately they are persecuted? It's a little bit harder of a question. Who are those? Prophets, I would say. Yes, the people of God, especially the prophets, and they were, they were persecuted at that time. Now, another, a little bit more challenging. Who are the initial invites? Israel. This was a crucial moment in the life of God's people. 
Now, when we look at Easter, we, we talk a lot about celebration and forgiveness, all those things, and we should because that is the core of Easter. Do you know there's another element of Easter? There's another element of the cross. That element is judgment. Element is judgment. And in part, you don't hear that from tons of pulpits, especially on Easter morning. But part of it is there was a rejection of God. Did you hear the rejection in the parable? There's a, there's a group of folks that were rejecting this sacred invitation. And Jesus, through this parable, was saying, you know, there's, there's consequences to saying no to God. Or I'm too busy for you or I'm distracted, or I don't believe, or I'm stepping away. There's consequences to that. And Jesus was saying, those consequences are being lived out in this moment. Now, he does go on, thankfully, to say that. Uh, um, and he goes on to extend the invitation to other people. Who are the other people in that invitation? Gentiles. Look at your neighbor and say, you. That was meant to be for all generations. In fact, whether Jew or Gentile, the invitation is still going out for all people to receive the sacred invitation. Do you know the reason why I believe so strongly that God is a God of invitation? Mainly because of Jesus. Jesus was inviting people all the time as he walked among us. He was inviting them. And there's these two little words that are kind of fun to trace. They're in the parable here. And then, but you can see these two little words throughout the ministry of Jesus where he's using these two little words that really, these two words make up the sacred invitation as I understand it. You know what those two little words are? Come is one. And what's the other one, Kathy? Follow almost, not quite. What was that? Go, yes. Come and go. Essentially, Jesus was the first come and go station, right? He just, he was constantly saying, come and go, come and go. These, uh, this aspect of invitation he was um, sending to people. Let's take a moment just to think about this sacred invitation in those uh, two words. When Jesus says come, this was not just a, a light, easy invitation. Come play a card game. Come hang out for a while. Come, no, no, no. This was an invitation that had depth, that had weight, that he wanted to give to you and me. He was saying, Come be with me. Come fellowship with me. Come share life with me, and I will teach you true life, abundant life kingdom life. Would you come? The invitation is not light, but really there's a reason why he takes the, the wedding banquet motif as that picture of what he extends because really it's the weight of a, a marriage proposal 
right? It's it's not a simple uh, invitation like to a card game, but it's it's more like a marriage proposal. The reason I say that is even in in the Old Testament as he talks about um, his relationship to his people, do you know the human relationship that he uses most often as an analogy? He uses children, sons and daughters a lot, but not as much as he uses husband and wife, wedding banquet. In fact, I was reading in Ezekiel, and I have some scriptures up there where he says to the, to the people of God, it's a part of a judgment, and he, and he pictures the people of God. It's, it's actually somewhat gross and sad, he pictures Israel as being born, born as a people and there was no one to love them. He says, you're, you're like a, a baby born that's unwanted and you're left in the field in all your blood and mess. He says, but I allowed you to be rooted and to grow. And then he says in Ezekiel, later I passed by And when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, this is God to his people. When I looked at you and I saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. That was an ancient way of a wedding proposal, ancient way of saying, come. And he's saying, I spread my garment over you I loved you. I gave you my uh, solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. This covenant relationship, of course, that's what our marriage, when we stand before God as a husband and wife and we say, I do, that's a, a covenant. He's using that idea of covenant. I bathed you with water and I washed the blood from you because they were left in the field, remember? And put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. Remember the garments from this parable. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on you and arms and a necklace around your neck. I have to readjust my contacts here. And I put a ring on your nose Earring on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. We have a little bit more. Next slide. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and the finest flour. You became very beautiful and arose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because of the splendor I had given you, made you Your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. But then, but you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. It's an analogy for idolatry and the worship of other gods and other things and distraction. You lavished your favor, uh, uh, you lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. I think the parable that Jesus shares is part of that story is that what we do 
with God's sacred invitation to us is a life and death circumstance. Now God would extend that, that was his heart, to love his people and lavish them, you and I, with beauty and love. Jesus comes along and he says, probably my favorite uh, invitation of come, and he says this, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is life, is light. Kingdom life, abundant life is a life that is with God. It's not simply for God. It's a life that is shared. It's a life of intimacy and covenant and love. And when Jesus says, come, follow me, it's as a lover, it's as a husband to a bride. Now, the other part of the sacred invitation, that other little word, go, I think also has significance. In fact, uh, we see this in the Old Testament as well, the Isaiah 51 passage. You see, the, the, the people of Israel weren't just meant to be God's uh, uh, lover and, and wife, in that analogy, but also there's a mission, there's a purpose, there's a direction. And that same is true for you and I. He said to Israel, listen to me, my people, hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. Their calling was to be a light to the world, to, to share the justice and the mercy of God to all nations. That was their calling. You hear that dynamic of the sacred invitation for Israel was to come, be with me, and go. You have a purpose. Jesus, of course, would say go often throughout his ministry, but the ultimate, the big go is, of course, the great commission. Therefore, go, he says to you and I, and make disciples of all nations. Carry this mission forward, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The sacred invitation isn't only about intimacy and relationship and marriage, but also about mission and calling and that we would use our lives in such a profound way that we're responding to the sacred invitation. And that invitation isn't really simply to a uh, help me out, I'm, I'm moving uh, and help me pack up my house and move to another house. No, it would be more like a career invitation. Would you be my disciples? Would you live this way? Would you give time and energy and purpose and focus to the agenda? Because the sacred invitation has this profound agenda, the restoration of the world. Would you join me in that? Now, let's return to the parable and this sacred invitation. 
we see uh, that he, there's a rejection. The people of his day, the people of God, they were saying, no, no, we're, we're too busy. We have things to do and, and people to see, to respond. Can you relate to that at all? How often, if we're, if we're really honest, that our, our days, our, our families, our, our work, our, our, command, our, our demands on our life, it just crowds out this life with God. In a really practical way, unfortunately, we say no so often. And yet he's saying, don't you know I have so much for you? I have so much more to this life than just an infrequent attendance on a Sunday morning, infrequent reading of my word and prayer. I've got this depth of life. I'm inviting you to, to so much more, but you have to say yes on a regular basis. You have to say yes. I don't know if any of you follow the uh, um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Do you know the royal wedding that's coming? Are we so disconnected from Europe that we don't? But that's a royal wedding that's coming. I don't know the date. It's a couple months or something like that. May something. Okay, some of you like that, yeah. So apparently they, they've invited 600 people, right? Royal family and friends. I just got my invitation that I'm super excited about. No, uh, and, and apparently they've invited 1,200 ordinary commoners, you know. But um, for those folks, they've invited charity workers and, and school children. Good for them, right? That they, so uh, apparently that they get to go on the grounds of, uh, what is it, Windsor Castle, and they get to see them come and go, right, and celebrate, be a part of the festivities. Can you imagine if the 600 uh, friends and family received that invitation and said, by the way, you know what, I had already planned to wash my hair that day. (laughs) That would be an issue, wouldn't it? Yeah, like this is a big invitation. And yet God's sacred invitation is even bigger. And so many of us are distracted. And essentially, we're saying no. And he's saying, don't you, don't you get Easter isn't about just a once a year celebration. It is the ability. You can't say yes on your own. You can't say yes on your own. I've created the ability for you to say yes, but you've got to do it now. You've got to go after this life. You've got to hear the invitation to come and live in intimacy and fellowship with God and hear the invitation to go on mission and serve and you've got to do it. And yet so often we're RSVPing as a maybe. See if I can work my schedule around that. Here's the the million dollar question of the parable. What does the wedding 
banquet itself represent? What does the wedding banquet itself represent? I grew up believing and understanding that it meant heaven in eternity. That I would get to say yes to Jesus at some point in my life and then when I died, I got to go to heaven and the banquet, all right? Now, truth be told, in Revelation, there is this also the wedding banquet of the Lamb, the Son, and that's true, that in a sense, heaven will be like this wedding banquet. But remember what Jesus is illustrating at the beginning of the parable. Did you catch it? When he said, the kingdom of heaven is like. And what we've come to understand about the kingdom of God is it's not just about life and eternity that starts when you die, but what is the kingdom of God? When does it start? The moment you say yes for the very first time, that wedding banquet begins to seep in or should seep into your life right here and now. And in fact, we're supposed to be living life in a wedding banquet now. This invitation isn't simply for the future. It will be full and complete in the future. But this wedding invitation, this parable is about the here and now. I think that's in part why he includes the guy that has the wrong clothes on. He's got these garments that that don't fit the life that he's been invited to, that don't fit the reality of the wedding banquet. So friends, I began to think about this wedding banquet. What does it look like to share in this life that would be a wedding banquet? It's a little bit challenging to get my, my mind and heart around. I thought of a few ways that really challenged me. What does it look like to live the wedding banquet now? Yes, have an eye to the future. Yes, someday fully and completely. But right now, at least in part, one way I thought about this is a wedding banquet. It's even right there in the parable, right? The the, the oxen and the fattened cattle. That to live is to eat some really good food with the king and his son. That would be part of what this life should be about. And what I mean by that, in the ancient times, especially more today, today still holds that, but to share a meal with someone meant something. It was an expression of fellowship and communion. There was an expression of friendship and togetherness in this way. And so at the wedding banquet, that really connects with the come invitation of that, is that at the wedding banquet, you would eat and share life. There's a, there's a have community and share life with God in this moment, that our lives today should reflect that fellowship and communion with the one true living God. Reminded me of one of the 
most intriguing passages of scripture in the Old Testament where God, we all know the Ten Commandments in Exodus, and he gives the Ten Commandments, he gives the law, and then God does something amazing and incredible. He invites Moses and Aaron and some of the leaders up to the mountain to see him. And scholars are like, well, you're not supposed to be able to see God because he's so holy and you're supposed to die, so how do we understand this? But listen to this. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, two names you should really consider if you're having a child soon. <laughs> Sorry, I get distracted in this way. And the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis and lazuli. Don't really know what that is. But there's this supernatural aspect and maybe they just saw God's glory. Maybe they just saw his feet. But whatever God, the one true living God of all creation, invites his people up and they see him. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they, what'd they do? <laughs> In the Old Testament, they shared a meal with him. They, this was part of God's plan from the beginning. He didn't create you so that you would be these servants that didn't know the master's business, that you just do what I tell you, don't ask any questions. No, he created you and I that we would come and commune and have fellowship with our creator, the one true living God. There's no way we could do that outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. We know that outside of Easter, but here he's saying this, is, I'm inviting you. But you got to walk up the mountain. You, you, you got to say yes. You, you, you got to, fellowship isn't something. Phil Donahue. <laughs> All right. Boy, that was such a good point. Yes, back on that. This is God's heart. This is the sacred invitation that we would share life with him. And, and the, these meals that we would be eating at, at the banquet, that we would be talking and laughing and Wrestling, all those things, life in the banquet. Um, I, I came across this interesting article about marriage today. There's a um, connection between our relationship, our, our marriage relationship, and our relationship with God. It was a recent study, and it had a theory. A theory that as people abandon more and more in our culture, the religious institutions and relationship with God, that that has a surprising effect 
that they start expecting their marriages or romantic relationships to satisfy a host of needs that were formerly satisfied by God. In other words, that we begin as we abandon that relationship with God, but I think many of us, even if we're in a relationship with God, we can do this for our marriages, human relationships, is that in our human relationships, we'd find things like transcendence and unconditional love and wholeness and meaning and worth and communion. And that is putting this incredible weight on our human relationships and they were never meant to fulfill in those ways. I think that's part of the divorce rate. And this article called First Things concludes this, the Western fixation on romantic love creates a crushing burden for mere mortals. It engenders a powerful myth regarding love, courtship, and marriage that a failable human partner can not only share our passions but state our existential or satisfy our existential yearnings. Contemporary couples expect much more from the marriage than it can realistically deliver. You see the connection there? Just imagine being at the, uh, being at the wedding banquet and Jesus is the groom and he's right there, but you're single. And you're not lo- really looking at Jesus. You're looking to see if there's any other single People at the wedding. Huh? You've done that, right? When you were younger, perhaps. Yes? Done that. Or imagine this. Even if you go with your spouse, and you're at the wedding banquet with your spouse, and Jesus is the groom, Jesus is in the room, you would think, man, the attention would be there. But you're not paying any attention to Jesus. You only got eyes for your spouse. Do you see, we're, we're missing the sacred invitation of intimacy and love with God. Yet we still have these yearnings. And we're trying to find it in mere mortals. And it's not going to happen. Just not. Calvin and Karen, would you clean this up in the marriage course after that? Yes? Another thing that's super challenging to me as I was thinking about if, if this life is supposed to be life at the, the wedding banquet of the Lamb, there's got to be a lot more celebration and joy. It's a challenging for me. Life is hard. And you know, um, at the wedding, at a Jewish wedding in particular, that is no somber affair. In fact, we have a little bit, they, they have a, a ceremony, the chair ceremony. Have you heard about this? We have just a, a video, we're going to play it real short, on this celebration. It's a Jewish wedding where they host, go ahead and play the video for the, that's the groom up there. Very somber affair. There goes the bride. And down she goes. Now she's okay. The groom comes over. 
She's okay. Bride's okay. And then they start going. She's somewhat unconscious right now, but she's enjoying the... See how gently they are. Okay, that's enough of the video. Isn't that a picture of life, right? It's celebration. We fall off the chair. Can you imagine the groom going to the groomsman? Guys, one job. What are you, what are you doing? Isn't that picture, though, that, that, that this, this, yes, life is hard. How, how, in the, how in the world could we have live a life with that kind of celebration? I, I, am con, I am convicted of this again and again. I don't want you to think I'm throwing stones from glass houses. But I believe wholeheartedly that as people of faith, there is this deep undercurrent of joy, abiding joy. That regardless of the circumstances in our life, that we, we have this idea that, that, that this, this truth, that there is a God, our creator, loves us, he's wooed us, he's forgiven us, he's promised to give all that we need in this world, that, that the Holy Spirit of God lives within us and walks with us, that Jesus the Son intercedes for us, that the Holy Spirit groans for us all this he's given us these riches and regardless of the circumstances relationships or jobs or difficult marriages or divorce all of that there is this undercurrent that you have that you're at the wedding banquet and I think that's part of saying yes is I'm gonna I'm gonna dip into that stream of abiding joy in whatever circumstance I find myself in, even in those times when I fall off the chair. There's a, there's a woman, uh, Hannah Peterson, last year, she was due to be married August 25th, and she got in this really significant uh, car accident July 18th. And they told the story. She was in a wheelchair. She broke her pelvis, and so, but she went through at the wedding and so her groom, uh, or her dad, wheeled her halfway up the aisle, and then her groom came and carried her the rest of the way. And, and she wrote, yeah, th there was pain there. She decided to stand for her vows. She said, but I was determined that that day would just be about the joy, the joy of love. Now, boy, if she can do that for her wedding day, I should be able to do that on a normal day. I should be able to receive the invitation of God's love on a regular basis. And finally, this, um, this wearing, wearing the right wedding clothes. What does Jesus mean by that? And what significance does that have for us? We learn about the wedding clothes in the later revelation about what they are and what they represent. In Revelation 19, 7, 8, it says this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen, this is also part of Scripture, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's 
holy people. In other words, he wasn't living as a person should live who is saying yes to God. It could be living in terms of righteousness. It could be living in terms of service, acts of love. But when we receive God's invitation, there is this expectation of how we might live, how we might respond. And those are our, our lives and our actions. I'm so thankful that Jesus went on in the parable because he's saying the wedding clothes and in fact, if you dig a little bit deeper, sometimes the king would provide wedding clothes to people. He says, I'll give you the clothes. I'll give you the righteousness of Jesus to wear. You just got to put it on. You got you to live in them. How many of us are choosing worldly, raggedy, stinky clothes on a daily basis? How many of us are missing the invitation to live the wedding banquet now? So much more. So much more. That's in part why we've entitled this next series coming up is simply with the word more. God has so much more. He's, he's providing so much. We just have to say yes to the life that he wants us to live. Would you say yes with me going forward? Would you say yes in this each day? God, I, I, wanna, I want life like that. I want life with you and for you. Are you really offering this, this kind of life? If so, God, yes. Help me to live it. Help me to understand it. Help me to walk. Help me to put on the clothes. I'm tired of these filthy rags. Help me to put on the wedding clothes that you want me to live. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear in this present moment your sacred invitation. Help us to hear your come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Help us to hear the go. to not live a shallow life, an empty life, a purposeless life, but to live a life that's on mission for your glory and your honor.
Holy Spirit, in whatever way we need to say yes to you in this moment, would you direct us to saying yes? Yes.